Okay, everyone. Welcome to the Department 12 podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ben Butina, and joining me tonight is Vanessa Newton. Hi, Vanessa. Hi. So, Vanessa, you have a really cool job title, so I'm going to let you tell the audience what it is. So, I am the uh, Director of Assessment Data and Operations at the University of Rochester's Gwen M. Green Center for Career Education and Connections. Does that all fit on one business card? <laughs> it does not. We call it the Green Center for short. Very good. So I'm going to ask you what that means uh, in a few minutes. But first, I wanted to ask you about your background. Specifically, what's your uh, background in IO psychology? So um, I have a master's degree from Eastern Kentucky University in um, IO psychology. And then I also have um, a certificate in IO psychology that I got from my undergrad, um, which is the University of Northern Iowa. So when you were at the University of Northern Iowa, what made you decide to pursue this certificate in IO psychology? Yeah, so I'm actually going to take it back a little bit further to back in the day when I was in high school. Um, I told my mom that I really wanted to get major in psychology when I went to college, and she told me, there's no money there, pick something different. Um, so I was a marketing major and I epically failed a macroeconomics class. Like I'm talking, went into the final, could get a hundred percent and still was going to fail this class. Oh no. And decided intro to psychology was the highest grade I got that semester. I like psychology. I'm going to be a psychology major, but I had no clue what IO psych was or anything like that. So during one of my very many um, minor panic attacks trying to figure out what my life was going to be, um, I was searching for stuff on the University of Northern Iowa's psychology um, page and found IO Psych, started researching it and thought it was something I'd really enjoy and kind of went from there. So it sounds like your initial instinct back in high school was probably right on. It was, but it was the psychology that we always think of, right? Like being a counselor or something like that. I, I liked um, that aspect of helping people. And I thought um, I was um, adept at having empathy for others. And so I thought that's what I would want to do. But after doing some job shadowing, realized that the day in day out grind of being a therapist or a counselor or anything like that was just something I could not do. I can understand that. I actually have a similar background. I went and got a master's in counseling before I um, switched over to IO psychology. And I really liked doing it. I think I actually would have been okay with the grind, but I couldn't really make ends meet during that licensure period. You know, you have that like year or so where you're working for peanuts to get your license. And, you know, I already had a family and everything like that. So I couldn't really live that way. And, you know, I was disappointed at first, but what I found was, that what drew me into that to begin with, that, that sort of excitement about helping people and helping people change and grow and learn was all waiting for me in IO psychology. And I, I kind of wonder, did you have that same experience? Um, I definitely did when I first got introduced to IO psychology. I think somewhere along the way, I got pulled more over to the industrial side where I think things are a little bit more um, straightforward. So how are you putting together interview questions? Is everything reliable? That kind of stuff. But then as I 
delve deeper into my graduate career, I just became enamored with the organizational side and this whole idea of questioning and asking why and figuring out what the right questions were asked to get at the answers that you're looking at and that kind of stuff. And so um, I think that's the whole idea that you could help people um, is what drew me in. But then I just discovered the different sides and the gray in between and all that kind of stuff and really just fell in love with um, the field. So from the undergraduate certificate in IO psychology to the master's in psychology to where you're at now, how did that happen? Um, so I realized probably my second semester of my junior year that I was going to need to go to grad school. And nobody in my family had ever gone to grad school. I didn't even know how to ask for help. I just started Googling things um, and started figuring out what I needed to do. I was sort of up against the clock because I was graduating a semester early. Um, and so I kind of tried to cram like GRE stuff and all everything in. Um, so I graduated a semester early in December. And of course, by then you have no clue if you got into grad school. And like I talked about, I had... Um, I'd struggled my first semester of college. That transition was really hard for me. So I didn't have stellar grades or anything like that. So it wasn't a definite for sure. I'm going to get into grad school type of thing. So I worked for a little while. Um, I, um, actually was pulling about 80 hour weeks. I worked from 4am to 12.30pm, um, in an airport gift shop. And then I would work from, about 2 p.m. to um, 9 or 10 p.m. as a counselor for teen moms who um, were court-ordered to live in a facility because they were pregnant or parenting, they had behavioral issues, academic issues, and substance abuse issues. Um, And the day I got accepted into grad school, I submitted my resignation to that job. Wow. I think you should have your own show. Like you could just do a show just on that period of your life because it sounds fascinating and really, really hard. Um, did How long were you sort of in limbo there where you didn't know if you were getting into grad school or not? Um, so I graduated in December. Um, I went and visited some friends in Alaska f- over the Christmas period. And then from January until really April, because I was waitlisted at Eastern Kentucky. And so I didn't have official acceptance. Um, and I didn't hear back from the other school that I got into until about April. So I had about four months that I was in limbo of not really knowing. And I remember walking through target one day and just deciding that I'm going to commit to living this next year in the Des Moines, Iowa area. Um, I'll just kind of work the jobs that I need to, because it doesn't seem like grad school is going to work out for me, but I can't live in my parents' basement forever. So I'm just going to commit to living in, in Iowa for the next year and was literally walking out of the store to go home and start apartment hunting and got the email saying you've been waitlisted and you're just like, okay, now I have no decisions. (laughs) So when, like, what was the day like when you found out, okay, you know, it's not waitlisted, I'm officially accepted into this program. What was that like for you when you, when you finally cleared that hurdle? It was relief. It honestly, I was so burnt out from, um, just pulling these crazy shifts. Um, it was just relief that I could quit my job that I hated. 
Um, I definitely am not cut out for uh, working with teenagers. Um, And so to submit my notice, to kind of know where I was going to be going, um, to start apartment hunting and packing and that kind of stuff, it was all relief. And it was a lot of excitement that um, like, I felt like I accomplished something. I, like I said, nobody in my family went to grad school. So I didn't really have anybody that I could connect with to say, what is this like? What should yeah. I expect or anything like that? So that's, yeah, that's fascinating. And I think that, that grind that you had that, that 80 hour a week grind in one of those jobs being, you know, really emotionally intense, probably gave you some perspective in the IO psych program that a lot of people don't have about, uh, about work. We tend to look at jobs in this almost sort of detached, cold clinical way. And we also tend to look, I think, at um, really traditional kind of white collar jobs, because that's where so much of the research is done. And that's where so much of the money is, frankly. Um, But you have a whole different perspective on on work. Um, So so from your graduate program to where you are now, is that like a direct move or are there a couple steps in between? Oh, man, no. Uh, so I got into graduate school and definitely knew that I was going to need to work um, to make ends meet and was able to get an assistantship where I worked for the rec center at Eastern Kentucky. Um And I was a grad assistant there. I walked in and they'd been collecting data and that kind of stuff. And I was learning about um, how to analyze data in my stats class using SPSS and um, sort of started doing things with that data, but didn't really understand the how it would massively impact my career until a few years later when I was applying for jobs. And the world of work shifted so much. Um, you know, really after the recession, I was, I was in graduate school from 2010 to 2012. So right after kind of the recession, but even in 2012, we were still recovering from that recession. And I had always kind of been under the idea that you just submit materials and whoever has the best materials will get the job. And if you weren't getting callbacks, it's because you didn't have really good materials. I didn't really understand the whole networking thing. Um, So I think I probably put out 300 applications. Um, And somehow I don't even remember applying for a job at the University of Kansas, but I applied for a job in their career center and um, had an awful application, which is always very comical to me looking back on how bad my application (laughs) is. It was so generic. It was not... You know, the cover letter was, it was just awful, but they pulled me and had me do a phone interview. I went on campus and I accepted a job as essentially a secretary in that office um, because I really wanted to work in higher education. Um, I did in undergrad, I worked in the rec center at UNI. And then in grad school, I talked about how I worked in the rec center. And I really loved that environment and that flow of working in the um, rec center. And I figured I would just take this job just get my foot in the door. Maybe something would open up at KU. They're a huge university. If nothing else, like people recognize the University of Kansas when you see that on their resume. They don't necessarily recognize EKU or UNI. Mm -hmm. Um, But my boss at um, KU had, you know, listened to my interview and listened to my skills with data 
and knew when he hired me that he would be moving me into an analyst um, type role in that office. We just didn't know when or what it would look like. And so um, I then moved to into an analyst role in that office and really started um, fine-tuning my data skills. So then when this job at Rochester opened up, they're looking for somebody to do their HR and their data. Well, I have an IO background and I do data. And, um, you know, I just kind of came swirling in and was able to get the job somehow um, with not much experience. You know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm less than five years out from when I graduated from grad school. So to get a director level job with not a lot of experience was crazy. Yeah. Well, hats off to you. It sounds like you had a lot to overcome. You know, like you said, you didn't have, you know, a a deep family background in, you know, graduate school or, um, you know, like connections, uh, you know, the networking, like you mentioned, you know, that's kind of the unwritten uh, way that you get jobs and versus, you know, blasting out uh, resumes and applications and it worked out for you. So you, you had to figure out a lot of this stuff on your own. Um, I want to talk about the data for a minute because this is something that I think especially a lot of maybe undergraduates or graduates in IO psych are hearing about, but they're probably not hearing that much about it within their programs because it's so new and they might have a hard time connecting data analysis and the whole data scientist thing with what IO is all about. So could you just explain what a data analyst is? I don't know if I can fully like really explain what it is because I kind of feel like I am a, like a data analyst in dress up. Like I'm not actually a data analyst. Um, I do super basic stuff. You know, when I, when I started at um, EKU, I was so excited about all the stuff I was learning in my first stats class that I was running all these different kind of analyses that I literally don't remember what they're called, could not tell you anything about them. But I remember reporting out to the student um, workers and I was so excited and I just had blank stares at me. And it was in that moment that I realized the value of knowing your audience. And Ever since then, whenever I evaluate my audience, it's always been frequencies and percentages can tell really powerful stories. It doesn't have to be super complicated. You don't have to be running regressions and that kind of stuff. You can do really amazing, cool things, um, especially now that we're looking more into the predictive analytics world because um, academic units are starting to realize that they have a lot of data and they could be doing really awesome stuff by creating personas and everything. But you can still do really powerful stuff by just frequencies and percentages, basic stats that your basic person would understand um, instead of making people feel overwhelmed by like... I don't know, doing a regression analysis or something like that. And so, um, you know, for me, a lot of times it is um, kind of really thinking logically. Um, when I was at KU, we would survey our employers who would come to career fairs. And every single career fair, we asked them if they liked um, the location of the event. And I finally asked, is there any other place that we could do these events? The answer was no. So I said, why are we asking this question? 
why, like, if there is nothing that we can do with this data, why bother asking this question? Because it's pointless. We're wasting people's time. And everybody loves where we have the career fair. We don't get any bad feedback from that. So um, for me, it's just been like being really logical, knowing my audience and um, presenting information in a way that especially in academia, um, these non-academic departments have really never been exposed to. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think something that you said earlier really caught my attention and that was, you know, in your first stats class, it's it's almost like a, a, a switch flips, right? Like you're like, you know, at first you're kind of like, oh, statistics, it's scary. And then you realize what you can do with it and you just start running all these analysis and it's, and you just like, you know, there's this whole menu of options available to you and, and stuff you can do with this data. But like you said, uh, for, for most situations, for a lot of situations, at least in, in the applied world, the practical world, the the basic stuff, frequencies and percentages, is kind of the meat and potatoes. And it's what people can actually understand. And I, I really appreciate what you said there about knowing the audience and knowing how to tell a story to that audience, because I think there's this tendency, um, because we have access to this whole world of tools and techniques to just completely overwhelm. And, and I've seen people do it. They just they get up and then it's just these dense slides and handouts and you can just see the eyes just glazing over in the audience. So learning what is it that I need to, to bring to the forefront here and what story does this tell? Right. Uh, I think that's great. And one of the tools I wanted to ask you about, uh, I know that you use Tableau and you mentioned in your graduate school work, you were using SPSS, which I'm assuming most of the audience is familiar with or will be uh, soon. And I feel like IO is just starting to move into the world of R now. You know, we're a couple of years into this and people are just starting to realize like, okay, R can do all this stuff and it does it better than SPSS. And yeah, it looks really ugly at first, but wow, once you get used to it, it's really powerful. And now there's these other tools, including Tableau. And I don't think too many people in the audience are familiar with it. So maybe you could sort of hold our hand here and tell us what is Tableau? It's amazing. And I really wish that there was some sort of like way that every single time I talk about Tableau, I get like karma points or something like that, because I, I honestly cannot speak highly enough of Tableau. I think that they, they're a really cool company, but you know, it doesn't really matter if the company's cool or not. It matters about the product. Right. And so their product is making visualizing data accessible to anybody. So before um, I was reading this article, um, I forget who wrote it, but they're talking about how before, if you wanted to visualize data, you had to have like a computer programmer who could go and write code. And it was really important to know things like Python and other code languages that I'm just not like hip and cool and know all about. But with Tableau, it's this drag and drop system where you can start visualizing out your data and because I think a lot of people, um, I think shy away is a pretty good term for it, but it probably doesn't like accurately describe how people, general people feel about data and statistics and that kind of stuff. They um, almost reject it because they just don't want to deal with data. Um, it makes it easily consumable when you can see the percentage is this or like, 
look what happens when you add these filters to this bar chart, how it changes and everything. You can visually see what your growth or your decline is. Um, you know, I built out um, this social media dashboard when I was at KU where I was analyzing every single one of our social media posts and trying to figure out what's getting engagement and what's not. And sure, there is data embedded into Twitter and Facebook that you could go and you could look at Twitter, you could look at Facebook, but when you can kind of combine things and be able to look um, at both of those and see what is common, um, it makes it a lot more powerful. And um, (laughs) Tableau just does such a good job of bringing data visualization to everybody instead of you having to understand all the coding that goes behind doing things. And um, I've never used R before. There's a guy who runs a website called flowingdata.com, Nathan Yao, who does amazing, beautiful works of art using a wide variety of different kinds of data visualization. Um, But I just think that Tableau is such a leader in that space. um, And they really have brought this into a lot of different sectors and industries and students can get a year of Tableau for free with your EDU um, email address. So you can start learning what it is and you can do more complex data analysis in there and run um, more complex stats in there. Um, But this is where you have to understand the formulas. So whereas when you're in SPSS, you can just click and say like run a regression analysis or I don't remember exactly how you do it, but um, with Tableau, you have to know what the formulas are and you can um, build out those formulas. So that's really cool. Um, I have a question for you, and this is kind of a speculation thing. But when I think about the technology that we had access to, say, I don't know, 50 years ago, if you wanted something typed, there was like a whole uh, you know, there was like a typing pool in a lot of big companies and it was just, you know, a pool of secretaries or admins that would type things up for you. And then the technology developed to such a point that now we all do that ourselves. And I guess what I wonder is when you look at something like Tableau and the way that it really makes data visualization uh, and maybe some of the analysis easier, do you foresee a time when everybody is their own data analyst and that's less of a, a separate job? It's interesting because this conversation was just happening um, like yesterday on um, Twitter. Tableau is super um, active on Twitter and they were talking about what are what's the responsibility with data that people don't talk about. And something that has been a conversation I've had with my boss um, as I'm building out um, like engagement dashboards with how engaged students are with our office and breaking it down by demographics is that what is the training that people are getting? How are you responsibly using this data, right? So Facebook is the biggest company right now under fire with how they're responsible using data. But you have to understand that data is an end-all be-all. So while a lot of people could maybe utilize something like Tableau and make it spit out graphs and stuff, it still requires a human to interpret that information. And so, yeah, I think that we could get to a point where anybody can be a data analyst and can build things out, but it's still a skill set to be able to pull out 
what are we actually looking at? What are we actually talking about? What is this data? What is the context behind this data? And I think that's why, um, you know, the buzzword right now is being storytellers with data is because we're traditionally not. We traditionally just throw numbers and percentages up on a screen and say, 53% of graduates are doing this. But what does that mean? What do we do with that data? What is it telling us? That's what analysts are doing. They're pulling um, stories out of this data to better understand the information. Yeah. And I can see how that type of job would be very appealing to a lot of people who are students and graduate students in IO psychology, because it's taking skills that you learn in those programs and it's just sort of shifting them a little bit. So rather than you know, developing a hypothesis that's grounded in a theory and then conducting a survey or an experiment based on that, you're basically starting with data and doing some exploratory analysis and then sort of backing into the story from it. Um, so I think that's that's really interesting, and I think it's a career option that I hope a lot of listeners will, will think about. Sometimes we say, oh, IO psychology, but we don't really know what that looks like um, in a day-to-day basis. Like, what is that actual job? Because very few of us have a job called IO psychologist. But you have given us a great example of a job that, you know, you're using those IO skills um, and, uh, you know, doing a, a great thing with it. So I want to thank you for being on the show. Yeah, not a problem. Thanks for having me. Okay, everyone. Thank you for listening. Uh, You can check the show notes. I'll have some contact information for our guest. Also have links to Tableau and any other links that I think of. Have a great day.